Hey guys, yeah, like, like Pastor David said, my name is Isaac, and man, I'm just so stoked to get to spend some time in God's Word with you guys. Um, you know, there's some of you who have gone to know well, and certainly a lot of others that I haven't, but yeah, getting to hang out with you all summer, it's been so encouraging. Um, I think seeing how much fun you guys have, but also just seeing how you love one another and see, are seeking after God, it really has been such a blessing. Um, but as we're going through this series and looking at different attributes of God, today we're going to be looking at God's sovereignty, specifically looking at Proverbs 16. So sovereignty is an attribute that is important for so many reasons, but one, because it's an attribute I think we and myself, myself specifically, I think often overlook. Um, this might be because sovereignty feels kind of abstract or maybe not applicable to our lives, or it could be that we just don't fully understand it. Like it has something to do with God ruling or being controlled, but we're not sure like what that really even means. Um, so before we get too much farther, just a quick definition. If I were to simply define God's sovereignty, it would be that all things that happen are under God's control for his purposes. Again, all things that happen are under God's control for his purposes. We'll obviously explore that a bit more, but hopefully that's helpful just to kind of get us on the same page. However, a second reason, at least personally, that talking about God's sovereignty is so important is, if I'm honest, this is a part of God that I've really struggled to believe at points in my life. Um, I'm sure we've all had seasons of our lives where we've asked or at least thought to ourselves, like, is, really, is God really in control of this situation? Maybe it's sickness or disease that's impacted family. Um, maybe it's not getting to the college you so desperately wanted to. Maybe it was COVID, ruining plans. One of the biggest times that I really struggled with trusting God was my junior and senior year of high school, actually. Um, I played several sports, but wrestling was my main sport throughout high school. So my freshman year, I had a decent first year on varsity. Sophomore year, I made it the state qualifier. So by my junior year, this was a season I was really hoping to make a jump. And wrestling in college was something I was really pushing towards. So first match of the year happens, goes great. It starts season one and oh, so far so good. But the next morning, I remember waking up and my knee was like super stiff, I could barely move it. And honestly, I was super confused because I finished the match, I felt fine, so like, I seriously had like no idea what happened. Long story short, somehow I tore my meniscus and just didn't even feel it to the next day, which literally to this day, like I, I don't know how it was possible. Um, so at first, the doctors told me, you know, if it's minor enough, we'll just do physical therapy for a couple of months and you'll be back for senior year. But long story short again, they were wrong. And after four months of PT, I did need surgery because it was a lot worse than they thought. So I actually ended up missing my whole senior year too. Now, when this happened, I knew all the good Christian answers of, you know, I know God's in control, I know he's good, but if I'm honest, like I was super bitter. Um, I was angry. This was something I'd put years of my life towards that had now been taken away from me. And while I probably didn't understand what God being sovereign over my own life really meant, I, I didn't really care whether or not he was because this was what I wanted. I just felt like, how could this be good for me? And like I said, I'm sure many of you have had similar circumstances that just didn't make sense. I'm sure many more significant than sports or maybe some like mine. But if we say that God is sovereign, where does that fit into the hard situations of life? 
So that's why the question I would love to answer today is if God is sovereign over all things, how should it impact my day-to-day life? If God is sovereign over my life, how does that fit into my circumstances? Thankfully, Proverbs 16 speaks pretty directly to this. So the key idea I think we can take away from the text is that God's sovereignty means I can trust him with my circumstances because he is in control and his plan is best. I'll say that again. God's sovereignty means I can trust him with my circumstances because he is in control and his plan is best. So if you haven't yet, feel free to open up to Proverbs 16. Now, for a little background, the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon. He was the son of David and known for his great wisdom. In 1 Kings, we see the narrative where God offers Solomon anything he wishes, and Solomon asks for wisdom. Scripture says he was given a wise and discerning mind, unlike any we've seen before and unlike any to come. So related to this, most people categorize Proverbs into this group called wisdom literature. And these books of wisdom are found in the third section of the Old Testament that we call the writings. And then finally, the genre or literary type of the book of Proverbs is that it's a book of Proverbs. So like a proverb, this is like a wise saying or a principle. So we have the book of Proverbs, which is a book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, the wisest man in the world. And the overall thrust of the book is this that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. An easy way to understand if fearing the Lord would be to have reverence towards God or to view God bigger. So just like the purpose of this series, we're trying to view God as the big God that he truly is. So the whole book, we're looking at how does fearing God lead to wise, godly living? What does that practically look like? So starting in chapter 16, we see Solomon say this. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Now, again, our key idea is that God's sovereignty means I can trust him with my circumstances because he is in control and his plan is best. So looking at the text, there are two main ideas I want to point out that should guide our discussion through the passage, and each points back to this key idea, right? So the first is that God's sovereignty means that he's in control of everything, and second, God's sovereignty means we can trust him. So the first point, and hopefully you see this in the handout, is a little more focus on what even is God's sovereignty, whereas the second is a bit more application, right? Saying, how do we respond to these truths about God's sovereignty? So let's take a look. Now, as we jump in, we already established our concrete definition of sovereignty. Um, But if I were to really simplify this to one word, it would be control, right? We said this, that God's sovereignty means all things that happen are under God's control for his purposes. John Piper puts this a lot more eloquently, where he says that when we say God is sovereign, it is to say that he is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and authorities. Nothing can successfully stop any act or event or design or purpose which God intends to certainly bring about. And we see this all throughout scripture, right? So like Job 42.2, You can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
Proverbs 21.30, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against me. Daniel 2.20-21, wisdom and might belong to me. I change the times and seasons. I remove kings and set up kings. So our first point here, God's sovereignty means he is in control of everything. Looking back to the text, we see that God is in control and we are not. So verse one, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Later in verse nine, this isn't our focus, but Solomon says it similarly. He says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. And we've all felt this before, right? Where we plan everything perfectly. Everything goes completely opposite of what we expect, right? Say your family is planning for vacation. You pack clothes, buy plane tickets, rent a hotel room, but then your flight gets canceled. Nothing you can do. Or maybe you plan a party or a game night, but you have flaky friends, and they decide to go do something else, right? Plans fall through. Now, those are some small inconveniences, right? But I'm sure we felt this in deeper ways, too. Um, I think one of the biggest things COVID did was help us realize how out of control we really are. Trips canceled, being forced into virtual schooling, no sports. For me, it was losing the last two months of my senior year of college and then working remote for a year. Definitely not how I planned the start of adulthood to begin. But the good news is that none of this takes God by surprise. The answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We suggest God's word is final. We plan our ways, but he establishes our steps. There can be so much pressure to be in complete control, not just of our choices, but of all of our circumstances. I'm sure there are probably partially internal reasons, but a lot is also probably outside pressure, feeling like other people around us have it all figured out. But the reality is that part of being a human is recognizing that this just isn't possible. To seek such control is a God-sized task that we were never meant to bear. God is in control. We are not. However, this is only the first piece of the puzzle because total control by itself isn't necessarily a good thing. For you upperclassmen that are driving right now, I know I definitely had friends in high school that their love for driving uh, was far greater than their actual skill for driving. Right? Like the fact that they were in complete control of the car wasn't good news. That was like actually terrifying. Or think about like world rulers, right? If you learn a world ruler is seeking to gain complete control over government so they can do whatever they want, like, maybe that's a good thing, but probably if he's power hungry, only looking out for himself, you know, like seeking world dominance or something, like, that's probably a bad thing. We're usually not the biggest fans of that. Why do I tell you this? You see, the thing is, control is only good news if the one in control has good character and good motive to match it, right? Control is only good if the one in control does what is truly best. But thankfully, unlike so many selfish, immoral rulers, God's character is all of these things. And that's what makes his sovereignty so great. So first we said, God's sovereignty means he's in control, but just as important, there are two main reasons, if you see the subpoints there, for why God being in control is actually such a great thing. First, God's sovereignty is always right or just. And second, God's sovereignty is always the best thing for us. God always acts in our best interest. So back to verse two, we see that all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. 
So what Solomon is saying here is that we think we do everything from a right motive, but even that's not always true. Uh, When I serve, how often is it mixed with selfishness or pride? Say I'm serving in children's ministry, but also thinking like, man, I wonder if anyone notices. I wonder if others at church think highly of me. Or when I spend X amount of time studying, maybe I'm telling myself that, you know, like, well, this is the effort I need to steward my time and be faithful to the opportunities God has given me. And that's probably true, right? But how often is that also mixed with fear of failure and idolatry of success? So this proverb is telling us that God is aware of our mixed motives. He can see our hearts for what they truly are. Okay, sure, we have mixed motives, so what? What I think Solomon is trying to do is get us to recognize our own mixed motives as contrasted to God's. Because while our plans are almost always impure, God's motives are always good. They're always pure. Does that make sense? Right? When we say that God is righteous in all he does, that's to say he's morally right or just in all of his actions. And the reality is this is what we all want, right? We want rulers, presidents, kings, pastors, that don't have ulterior motives or do things for evil, for what is right. God is pure in all he does and in all he desires. You see, one of the incredible things about God's sovereignty is it's an attribute that touches all of his other attributes. What do I mean by that? It is because God reigns and rules over all things that we see the fullness of who he is. You see, God could be fully loving, fully just, fully merciful, but if he's off just like sitting in the corner, out of control, what good is that? If he's not reigning over all things, that doesn't really impact what's in front of us. But praise God, because he is in complete control. The reality is we need a God that is both of these things, one who is right and one who is just in all he does, as well as one who is control. This will make sovereignty such good news so, man, I hope that, you know, as we explore this, you can start to see sovereignty not just as a hurdle to get over, but actually as an amazing reason for why God is worthy of our worship. Pretty sweet stuff. But back to our point. God's way is good, first, because his way is always right. You know, it's righteous and just. But now you might object, like, yeah, like, I, I get it. God always does what is morally right. But sometimes it just doesn't feel like this is the best thing that could happen to me. Um, like, forget morality, what about my friend or my family member that got cancer? Like, is, is this really the best thing that could happen? Um, or the dating relationship that seemed like it had so much promise that ended. A career dream that just doesn't seem feasible anymore. Not getting into the college I wanted. You say God's in control, but if I'm honest, like, I kind of wish he wasn't. You say he loves me, but it really feels like he doesn't. Now, what I don't want to do is diminish hard circumstances. Um, God's sovereignty doesn't mean we can't mourn the brokenness of this world. Doesn't mean we can't hurt in hard situations. You know, if someone hurting a quick response of like, well, God's in control, don't you just trust him? It's not necessarily the most comforting thing. Looking at the brokenness of this world, learning that things ought not to be this way, it's not wrong thinking. It's actually right thinking. Because as believers, we look forward to a day where pain and suffering is no more. This ought to hurt. So taking time to process and to feel, right? That, that's a good thing to do. That's a right thing to do. But 
even still, as we grow in our faith, my prayer is that we begin to transition from less of a focus on our circumstances to more of a focus on God's character. Because even when it doesn't feel like it, God is still out for our best interest. I was talking to Pastor David about this, and I think one of the best ways we can see this is in a parent-child relationship. So a family is out playing in the front yard, and a father tells his eight-year-old son, like, all right, you can go wherever you want in the yard, just don't go in the street. Uh, right? Like, even if a ball or one of your toys goes in the road, just, just leave it there. We'll take care of it. Now, that's not cruel or restrictive to the child. That's actually loving. The reason a father restricts his eight-year-old from watching R-rated movies is for his good. This eight-year-old may not understand why. He may be saddened by it, might even be angry by it, but his father is protecting him. One of the biggest reasons I think we struggle to believe verses like Romans 8.28, which say God works for the good of those who love him, isn't because God hasn't been good, but it's because we have a wrong idea of what good really is. Good doesn't necessarily mean easy. Good doesn't have to mean there's an immediate payoff. And most importantly, good doesn't necessarily mean our plan. Rather, good is that which draws us closer to God and that which makes us more like him. There's a day in eternity where pain and suffering will be no more, but our ultimate and greatest good is that we know and enjoy God above all else. It is in this way that God seeks our greatest good. Now, what have we covered so far? Right, so first, God's sovereignty means he's in control. Everything is under his authority. But then the reason why that's such good news is because God's plan is actually what is best. God will always do what is righteous, and he'll always do what is best for us. So the big question then is, what is our response? If God is in control, if he always does what is best, how should this impact the way that I live? Verses three to four give us an answer that we can break down. We see Solomon say this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Now there are a lot of implications here, but I think a good way to summarize this is point three, that God's sovereignty means we can trust him. Specifically, we can trust him with our plans and then we can trust him when our circumstances don't make sense. Now, when verse three says to commit your plan to the Lord, like, what does that mean? Like, now I sip my coffee. I no longer sip it mindlessly, but in the name of the Lord, right? I don't think that's the idea. But first, what we can see is that just because God is in control, that doesn't mean we do nothing, right? This isn't an an excuse to not plan or to not work. Instead, we work and we plan, but it's for God's glory. Obviously, we won't be perfect, but we seek to align our plan with what seems to bring God honor. And I think it's important that we know that where the first two verses really have just been teaching us about these realities, this is the first command we're actually given. Solomon is saying, if this is true of God, then your job is to commit your works to him. Do this. So when I consider my plans, how I schedule my day-to-day life, hobbies I prioritize, picking a college, career, friends, I do this for God's glory. And we do this both because God is worthy of being glorified, but also because living in accordance with God's commands is actually in our best interest. Right? If I'm seeking God in my plans, I can lift them up to him. Romans 8, 28, God works for the good of those who love him. 
The way of the Lord is best. So do all that you do for his glory. All right, what does this look like? Um, Earlier, we talked about mixed motives that we have. So I would first just encourage you to reflect on the motives of your heart. It's okay to make decisions slowly and discern. Like, am I really seeking the Lord in this? Do I view academic success as a means to bring God glory or is it really just a source of identity? Are sports a way for me to connect with others, a joy of life that I'm thankful to God for? Or is it an idol that I, deserve, that I desire more than God? Or maybe a source of pride? Now, as you examine, you'll probably start to find mixed motives, just like the rest of us sinful humans, so welcome to the club. But this doesn't mean we need to stop doing everything we've ever done selfishly, right? Because then we just do nothing. Um, but rather, we recognize the sin in our heart. We confess it to the Lord. We instead focus on motives of seeking God's glory and in doing so, commit our works to the Lord. We think our way is best, but really God's is. So in a sense, we commit our works by living in accordance with his word. So that's part of committing your works to the Lord or trusting your works to the Lord. But the second half, which I think is maybe the most unique implication of God's sovereignty, is that we can trust God even when things don't make sense. Looking at verse 4, it says that the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Now, that may seem kind of weird, God, like, creating wicked, or the wicked for the purpose of destruction. And admittedly, we don't have um, enough time to dig super deep into this. But what is clear throughout Scripture is that God is both fully in control of all things, while man is still completely responsible for the sinful choices they make. One commentator puts it this way, that all is made by God for its purpose. The wickedness of free agents, that is, humans making free choices, is comprehended in this plan and made subordinate to it. God has not indeed made the wicked as such, but he has, but he has made them being which is capable of wickedness and which has desired for it in view of the day of adversity, which God will cause to come upon him, thus making his holiness manifest. Now that's a lot. <laughs> And if that doesn't totally make sense, that's okay. But the important thing that Solomon wants us to take away from this verse is that even in the circumstances that make no sense, God is in control. Even the evil we see in the world and the wickedness of man bows to God's purposes. God isn't making anyone do evil, but those who choose wickedness will serve the purpose of showing God's justice. Verse 5 tells us that the arrogant won't go unpunished. That's kind of the explanation right after We don't need to be worried that evil people will get away with evil things because God is in control. God will be just and his purposes will not fail. And remember that as a God who is both in control and righteous, all that we see in the world is a reflection of his character. So if I see what seems like injustice in the world, but I know God is just, I can trust all things will be right. Why? Because he controls all things. If I experience a loss of friends or feel abandoned, but I know God is a caring God who loves his children, I can trust he will care for me. Why? He controls all things. If I look at the sheer number of unreached people groups, I feel discouraged by the work to be done, but I know God is faithful, I can trust he will keep his promise to reach the nations. Why? He is in control of all things. 
And a side note, this is part of the reason that seeking to know God is such an important part of our Christian life. This is why we as a youth group are taking time to look at the attributes of God. Because over time, what will happen is you'll stop looking at God through the lens of your circumstances. You'll instead see your circumstances through the lens of God's character. Does that make sense? Right, so if God is truly in control of all things, then all of our circumstances are in submission to the purposes of God. Therefore, the more we know God, the more the rest of the world actually makes sense. So know and be encouraged that God is in control, even when your circumstances don't make sense. However, there's, there's one other just encouragement slash a warning that I want to give regarding knowing God's plan and that is that while God sometimes reveals the reason for why he works the way he does, there are also many times we don't get an answer. God's purposes aren't always revealed to us, but that's still okay. One obvious example we see is the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis. And have any of you helped out of VBS? You got to hear this a bit last week. But just a quick spark notes, right? So Joseph, the son of Jacob, he's the favorite son. All of his brothers are jealous. They kidnap him, sell him into slavery, ends up in Egypt. And through crazy events, he ends up second in command behind Pharaoh. And because of it, he's able to save his brothers who come to Egypt for help. In this beautiful story of redemption and forgiveness, Joseph proclaims to his brothers in Genesis 50, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So years later, Joseph could look back and see like, wow, that was hard. They meant to harm me, but God meant that for good. But then there are other instances I think of like Job, who loses all of his wealth, his health, and his family as a test of his faith. And while he eventually gets all these things back, he never actually gets the reason for why it happened. We as readers know why, but Job is actually left in the dark. Uh, So you have someone like Joseph that can see how God works, but had to wait decades to see it, but also instances like Job where God doesn't give him the answer. So one thing we can do is look back to see the ways that God has been faithful in the past. Praise God for how he has worked. But even if he doesn't work in the same way they did before, that's okay. Because our trust is not in understanding why, but in the character of who God is. We may not know why, but we do know our God. See, God loves and cares for you intimately. So even when circumstances don't make sense, God has not changed. And because God is sovereign over all things, be encouraged that God is loving both in the big things of life and in the little things of life. God is the creator of the universe that put the stars in place. He established the law of gravity. He raises up nations. He tears them down. The whole universe is in his control. Yet, he is in complete control over the day-to-day of your life. He knows the meals you will eat, the conversations you will have, and the thoughts you will think. From every little inconvenience to every small joy, God is purposely using your circumstances to draw you closer to him. Now, you may be thinking like, oh, okay, Isaac, so we're supposed to plan, seeking to obey God, but also hold it openly, trusting God regardless of how it goes. But like, what does that actually look like? How do I know if I'm really doing that? Initially, I think one of the best ways for us to check our heart is to reflect on the way we pray. So when we plan, my hope is that our prayers would look something kind of like this, like, like Lord, like, here is our plan. 
This is the plan that we hope to accomplish for your glory. But even if it doesn't happen, we trust in you. Why? We know you are in control of all things, so we trust what happens is according to your plan. We know you're righteous in all you do, so we trust in your perfect character. And we know you always do what is best for your children, so we trust in your perfect love. So this plan, it seems good, it seems right. We, we even pray that it happens. But even if it doesn't, that's okay, because you are a sovereign God. You see, God's sovereignty means that our job isn't to plan out every little detail of our lives. Instead, we are simply called to be faithful with the task right in front of us. I'm going to say it one more time because I think it's so important for us to understand and something I way too many times have misunderstood. God's sovereignty means that our job isn't to plan every little detail of our lives. Instead, we are simply called to be faithful to the task right in front of us. You may be thinking right now, like, okay, well, I have classes I need to do well, and then so much of that will impact where I go to college, and I need to make sure I pick the right major because that's going to dictate my career and what I do for the rest of my life. So really, I need to figure out my whole career path. And like, I would just say, like, pause, slow down, plan wisely, right? Do what seems would allow you to best honor God. But while the heart of man plans his way, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So even when that plan fails, that's okay. God's sovereignty means that even when our circumstances make no sense, we can trust who God is. So back to my wrestling story, I, I didn't end up wrestling in college, and I went to Cedarville University instead, which I mentioned, which most of you probably haven't heard of, but it's a Christian school in the middle of Ohio, which is actually where Josh Kira teaches, Pastor King's brother. Um, but let me tell you, my, my freshman year was such a sweet time where God grew me in so many incredible ways that I, I never could have imagined. And it was around April, actually, my freshman year that I, of, of college that I had a realization. Um, you see, end of my senior year of high school, I was not at all in a good place spiritually. Um, I didn't walk away from my faith, but it was around that time that all my friends started partying, living up, and I, I just felt like I was missing out. So that summer was marked by, man, just a lot of bad choices, and I was clearly not following the Lord. Now, like I mentioned, my, my freshman year of college got really got a hold of my heart. But what hit me uh, that spring is that had I wrestled in college, I never would have gone to Cedarville. And not to say you can't go to public school, but had I not gone to Cedarville, I had no idea where my faith would be today. I distinctly remember sitting in my dorm room and realizing for the first time, I was so glad I tore my meniscus. That torn meniscus that ended my wrestling career ended up being one of the best gifts that God ever gave me. You see, I had aligned with what I thought was best with what I thought, or with, with God's sovereign will for my life. But God's was so much better. So I'm not saying that every bad event of my life will always have this tangible impact that I could point to. But the God who used a torn meniscus for my good is the same sovereign God reigning over my life today. So two final encouragements that I want to leave you guys with. First, Know that if you soak in these realities, just know that trusting in God brings the greatest peace. As a matter of fact, I would say that the mark of one who truly grasps God's sovereignty is a man or woman marked by peace. I think of the little girl sleeping who has a nightmare and 
you know, she's scared of monsters or scared of the dark. She feels unsafe. What's her request? It's, Daddy, can I come sleep with you? Can you stay here? Can you sleep in my room? Now that he's here where there was once fear, there is now peace. No physical danger has actually changed, but why can't she rest? Because dad's here. If dad's here, he can handle it. If dad's in control, there's nothing to worry about. And so it is with our eternal father. The almighty, powerful creator of the universe is in full control, not just of the solar system, but in every detail of your life. God is sovereign so we can have peace. So that's one encouragement, but the second I want to leave you with is that even if you're struggling to trust God, know that he's patient and he's gracious. We ought to take sovereignty seriously. It's right that we trust him. But just as he was patient from us, for us to turn from our sin, so is he patient with us to trust him. Remember that obedience to God doesn't mean having our whole life figured out. Rather, it's asking, what does faithfulness look like right now? So we seek to honor God. We commit our ways to him. And we trust that God's plan is far greater than anything we can imagine. Commit your plans to the Lord and trust that he will handle the rest. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are worthy of your worship, and we thank you that you are sovereign, reigning over all things, Lord. Um, I pray that you would um, help us to just soak in those realities, Lord. I pray that you would help us to trust in you in all of our circumstances. Um, I pray that even when we don't understand our circumstances um, and our faith is wavering, I pray that you would give us the strength to trust in you. Um, We also thank you that you are a patient God, um, slow to anger, um, even when we fail. So we love you, and we pray this all in your name. Amen.